If you've got your Bibles, I want you to turn to 2 Kings. We're going to go back here. You know, when I was a kid, I, uh, for a little brief stint, a little segment of time, I did a little bit of kung fu. And uh, there was a, a, a gentleman in our Brazilian community, you know, who had done so in, in Brazil, and he was, you know, advanced in, in, in the belt system. I don't even know all the details of, of, of what he, he had, but he was offering free classes uh, to our condominium. And you know what? Having watched Enter the Dragon and Bruce Lee and all that kind of stuff, I'm like, yes, I want to learn how to fight. I want to learn how to, you know, do some of that cool stuff and use some of those nunchucks and all that kind of stuff. So I, I engaged in, in that for a little while, and um, I, I was enamored. I was, I was uh, struck by these fighters, these martial artists, of which Bruce Lee was one of the best. And Bruce Lee said this thing once, and, and it's like kind of stuck with me. He said, in great attempts... It is glorious even to fail. In great attempts, it's glorious even to fail. Failure, not failure, but low aim is the crime. In great attempts, even to fail is glorious. Our failure is not what is the issue. Low aim is the problem. Low aim is the crime. Have you ever been guilty of committing this crime? Have you ever been guilty of committing that crime? I, f- I feel like most of us, if we were to be truly honest, we've acquainted ourselves with failure sometime, somewhere in our history, have we not? No? All right. I guess I should go home, Pastor X. I'm talking to the wrong crowd. At some point, some place, we have met with failure. We've fallen flat. We've missed the boat. We've missed the mark. We have not accomplished what we needed to do. And that's not entirely a bad thing if we listen to Bruce Lee. It's not entirely a bad thing because if we are failing, that means that we are at least attempting to do something. We are attempting something, and therefore we did not meet the mark, but we were not parked. We were not stopped. We were not just stagnant. We were moving in a direction. And the crime, the issue is not the failure. The crime, the issue is our low aim. The problem is that we shoot too low. Our expectations are too low. What we anticipate to happen, to be possible, to be experienced is out of the right. It's not in the right place. It's way too low. It's non-existent. And so imagine what opportunities have we not come by because our aim was just too low. Imagine that. Just stop and think for one second. I know some of us, we don't like going down this train of thought. We don't like to entertain this word regret. We don't like this word and to consider because there seems to be this finality, this, this I can't go back and I can't fix it. I'm regretting that. We don't like to think that, but think about this. Boy, how would my life would be different if I had given it my all in that moment? You know, how would my life have changed if I had just had enough courage to ask her out? Anybody? If I had just worked up enough courage to ask him out, ladies. How would things have been different if I had given it my all in that moment? How would it have been different if I had just applied for that school, for that job, for that whatever it is? How would it be different A poet once wrote this. He said, the saddest words of tongue or pen are the words what might have been. 
Friends, one of the worst things that I want us to just kind of anchor our thoughts here tonight, one of the, today, one of the worst things that we can do is operate our lives on low expectations. We operate our lives on low expectations, and, and if, if we do so, you know, as we live in that way, it belittles our potential, and also it just completely insults our maker, who has made us in his image and likeness and has built and, and created and embedded within us greatness and embedded within us his image and likeness, which is able to commune and, and experience what all of his essence, all of his essence, all of his nature, which is creative and beautiful and wonderful and mighty and, and, and powerful. If we live with low expectations, we never scratch the surface of our potential and we also insult our maker. See, I want us to, to understand. I want you to grab your Bibles, turn to 2 Kings. I want you to go back to chapter 13 today. We were jumping several chapters and we're going to chapter 13. I want us to take a look here at this, at this story because I feel like in this story, there is an example of the debilitating power of low expectations. We're going to learn from this text. By the time we're done this morning, I want you to understand that when we have low expectations today, we absolutely limit God's performance. We limit God's engagement tomorrow. If we live with low expectations today, we are jeopardizing, compromising the future of God's performance in our lives. And so if you've got the scripture, I want us to just read it. 2 Kings chapter 13, and let's take a look at verse 14 and beyond. When Elisha was in his last illness, King Jehoash of Israel visited him and wept over him. My father, my father, I see the chariots and the charioteers of Israel, he said. Elisha told him, get a bow and some arrows. And the king did as he was told. Elisha told him, put your hand on the bow. And Elisha said his laid his own hands on the king's hands. Then he commended, uh, commanded him, open the eastern window, and he opened it. Then he said, shoot. So he shot an arrow, and Elisha proclaimed, this is the Lord's arrow, an arrow of victory over Aram, for you will completely conquer the Arameans at Aphek. Then he said, now pick up the other arrows and strike them against the ground. So the king picked them up, and he struck the ground three times, but the man of God was angry with him. You should have struck the ground five or six times, he exclaimed. And then you would have, have beaten Aram until it was entirely destroyed. Now you will be victorious only three times. Lord, I thank you for your word. And I ask you, Lord, that you would allow your servants to hear what the Spirit of God is saying to the church this morning. I ask you, Lord, that you would encamp your Holy Spirit around us. That we would, Lord Jesus, take it to heart. And Father, that it would change things that it would awaken things, that it would, Lord God, burst and birth new things within us, Father, this morning. In your precious name I pray, amen. Amen. This morning, as we open this text, we've been looking at Elisha, we've been looking at, at, at the northern kingdom and the southern kingdom, and, and, and the kingdom of, of Israel was divided. The people were living in sin. They, they experienced this time of, of sieges and times of, of peace, and the enemy was coming into their lives again and again, and laying siege and, and war, and, and raiding parties would come in. And every spring, if we look at this text, there, there was, there was uh, raiders that would come in, if we were to just continue reading down the road, and 
every time there is an enemy at their door, things are not good. As we open up the text this morning and we see here we have Elisha, we open up to this illustrious prophet, this man that was the successor of Elijah, who inherited a double portion of God's anointing, and he performed miracles upon miracles, that we saw incredible um, ministry being affected through his hands. We find this man of God, this messenger and oracle of God. A man who has spoken oracles to the nation, a man who has counseled kings, a man who has uh, led God's people and directed them towards God through mighty working of miracles, we find this man on his deathbed. We find him with the illness that is about to take him. We find him not like his, his, his uh, predecessor who was taken up into heaven in the chariot of fire and the whirlwind, but we find him now in this moment where he is on his deathbed. And verse 14 tells us that the king shows up. King Jehoash of Israel has stopped by for a visit. He's come by at the bedside of this amazing man of God. And I find that just fascinating. Sometimes I read things in the Bible and I'm like, Lord, why is that there? And then you start digging a little bit deeper and you're like, this doesn't make sense. This shouldn't, like, why is this here this way that it is? And God, you're, you're inviting something here. You, you want to teach us something by including that detail. And I find it fascinating that this man is said to have come to visit Elisha at his deathbed. And when we encounter him, as he shows up before the prophet, he is crying and weeping before the man of God. You know, stop and think about this. The king has come to visit the prophet. In a way of sympathy, in a way of compliment, he has come by to visit the prophet, the man of God. This is highly unusual behavior. See, it's not common for prophets to be visited by kings, but it's more common for prophets to go visit kings, for prophets to go tend to kings. And here we have the reversal of roles where the king, the highest in authority within the nation, he is coming down to speak and lay beside the, the, the man of God his respect and pour out on him his admiration to, to, to bring before him a need. He is coming and the roles have been reversed. And I find it especially interesting because if we go back just to verse 11, it tells us here, but he did, speaking of Jehoash, the king, who was the son of another king, who began to serve after his father, he is a man who did evil in the Lord's sight. He refused to turn from his sins that Jeroboam, son of Nebat, had led Israel to commit. He's a man that continued in his perversion. He continued in the sins of idolatry. He continued to lead the nation in the worship of idols. And, and he did not do anything to stop that as the highest authority figure in the country. He allowed that to, contain, to continue. And this man who is oftentimes, um, you know, as we've seen throughout kings. Kings had strenuous relationships with the prophets, especially if they were living in sin and per 
perpetuating, propagating sin and continuing the issues that we know that God did not endorse and God did not want his children, his church, his, his family, his, his people to continue living in. And so this man who is living in sin, who is broken, who has some things that God has against him, this man shows up, reverses the roles, goes to pay respect to the prophet, and he's there where there is probably going to be an exchange. There's probably going to be something that the prophet might say, I'm putting my finger on this. I don't like the fact that you're doing that, that you're living this way. You got to change this or change that. He is showing up no matter the fact that he has something wrong in his life. And I just find that fascinating because despite this king's issues, despite this king's problems, despite the fact that he has some things that might get in the way of him feeling like he is worthy or, or sufficient or able or approachable before God, this man knows that if I have a problem and an issue, there's only one place to go because the source of my power is in God. I need to go to the man of God. I got to go to God in order to meet him and see and put my issue and my problem before him. I just find that fascinating. Despite the fact that he has some issues, King Jehoash visited him and he wept over him. And I find it interesting that when he shows up, what does he do? He starts crying. He starts weeping. And did you catch what he said? When he sees the prophet on his deathbed, my father, my father, the chariots and charioteers of Israel. My father, my father, the chariot and charioteers of Israel. I find it incredible that he says these things. Why? Because when he shows up on the scene, he sees the man of God. He says, here are the chariots. Here are the charioteers of Israel. How many times, church, has the prophet of God been the one who has affected the answer of God on the nation. The prophet of God, the one who rendered the heavens and cried out to God in prayer, and by that prayer, a miracle was released. He shows up and he says, there is people who in this world go look to chariots and go look to, to horses and go look to all these other things, but I am coming to the man of God because Elisha, if you would just pray for us one more time, Elisha, if you would just cry out to God, if you would just put me, my need before the father this morning, if you would just lift my name up and my burden up before God, I know that God is going to do something and we are going to be all right. Can somebody here help me preach this morning and give God a glory today? He knew that if he showed up to the man of God, the power of God would be affected in his circumstance because he understood that if we are to have victory in our lives, the source of that victory is God himself. See, sometimes I wonder, who are we leaning on for our victory? What are we leaning on for our victory? Some of us, I think we're leaning on our IQ. Some of us are leaning on the weight of our bench presses. Some of us might be leaning upon the dress size and the social ranking and be leaning on the credit score. And we're leaning on all these different things. But church, I'm here to tell you today that if we are to experience God's power, if we're to experience his victory in our lives, we have to come and say, I'm letting go of all these other things. 
things. And I'm going to lean on the source of my strength, the source of my power, because my power comes not by my own mind, but it comes by the power of his Holy Spirit, the power of his answered prayer, the power of his affection and care and compassion towards me as he meets my need this morning. I think some of us here, we're leaning on way too many different things, and we're not crying out to the source of our power, which is our God and our Savior. This man, with all of his issues and all of his hang-ups and all of his problems, he shows up and says, the chariots of God are right here. The power of the Lord is right here. This man right here, you have been faithful. You have come up time and time again, and you have declared an answer. So, Elisha, I'm coming to you now, and I'm begging you this morning, do something for me. And what does the man of God do? What does this person who is on his deathbed, stop and think about this. He is ill. He is sick. He is broken. I don't know what his ailment is. I don't know. The Bible doesn't tell us what affected him and what took him out in the end of his life, in the twilight years of his ministry, after he has run his race and he's getting close to the end of his days. We don't know what is affecting Elisha, but he stands up and he gives one final prophetic proclamation. And he says, there's still something that God wants to declare over you today. And I want you to understand it a church is there something God wants to declare over you this morning is there still time for him to answer and speak is there still time for us to come to him as the source of our power and say God today bring me something God today release something over my life and Elisha stands up and says king I want you to do something now look back with me verse 15 Verse 15 and 17, we're going to look. Elisha told him, get out a bow and some arrows. And the king did as he was told. Elisha told him, put your hand on the bow. And then he laid his own hands on the king's hands. Then the com- he commanded, open the eastern window. And he opened. Then he said, shoot. And so he shot an arrow. You know, sometimes I, I read things, I see things in the Bible, and I'm like, are these things just pleasantries? Are these things just, just rituals? Are these things just, you know, uh, uh, um, things that you have to do and you have to honor and just go along with the ride and just be obedient in that moment? But the king I see here, he does something, and there is a context to this. As I'm reading and researching, I'm finding that as in those days, in the ancient Near East, if you were to declare war on somebody, if you needed to, to declare uh, that you had intentions to, to rise up in, um, in war over an enemy... What you would do is you would get as close to the enemy's borders as possible. You would find where their closest military outpost was, right by the borders. You would get within earshot, and you would declare out loud, I today declare war on you. And then after you said that thing, you would take an arrow, you would take a spear, and you would launch it in the direction of that outpost. And in doing so, you have just declared your intention. We are going to war, baby. We've got a problem. There, there is a conflict coming. There is an issue coming. And church, what I want you to understand this morning as I'm you know, reflecting on this scripture and God is putting it in my heart, Lord, you've spoken that if we are living with low expectations today, we're gonna experience a, a lack of your performance tomorrow. We're gonna limit your impact in our tomorrows. I want us to understand that if we are to have victory in our lives, victory is never passive. Victory is not passive. Some of us, we need to start declaring war this morning. He said, go and open the window and shoot your arrow towards the east. Where is the east? That was where the Arameans were, the Syrians were. That was the region of their land. And in a prophetic act, in a symbolic act, he shoots an arrow to declare his intention to do war with that enemy. 
And my question for, for us, for myself, as I'm sitting with this message, I'm like, God, what am I choosing to tolerate? What kind of problems am I living with? How long am I speaking about this issue? How long, God, am I going to talk? How many years am I going to waste? How many more conversations and interactions I'm going to have with people? And they're going to walk away feeling like all he does is talk about that same issue, that same problem. It never changes. It never moves. It never cancels. He never overcomes it. He never grows beyond it. It's always the same thing. Why? Because I think too long we have just tolerated our issue and we have ceased to become active and declare war on our enemy. He says, I want you to declare war. Church, how long are we going to tiptoe around the problem? How long are you willing to tolerate the challenge within your sphere? How long are you willing to just look at the pain around you? How long are you going to be okay with the hurting and the broken and the addicted and the despairing and the hopelessness around you? How long are we going to just receive that? I think that there comes a point in our lives that we have to develop some boldness, some courage, some character, some backbone, and we have to say, today, devil, this is it. You have taken enough ground from my life. You have stolen enough territory from my family. You have come in and robbed me of my peace. You have come in and wreaked your havoc in my family, in my neighborhood, in my community. Today is the day that I say no more. Today is the day that I say I'm shooting my arrow in your direction and I'm declaring that you have no more authority over this circumstance. It is done. It is over. Can somebody step in in faith and declare, God, this is today my day. Today I'm declaring war for my family because there's some things that are worth fighting for there's some things that are worth fighting for there are some things that are worth fighting for look into your own family are they not worth you getting passionate I'm looking at this and I'm thinking, God, have mercy. You, I know that in the fullness of time, you sent your son to be born of a virgin. You had a perfect plan and when to send your son. So God, if you sent your son at the right time, I know you sent my son at the right time. God, I look around me and I see this world and I see this day and I see all the debauchery and all the depravity and all the immorality and I see everything that's happening within this world today that is just going to, to hell in a handbasket. But God, I know that in the fullness of time, you have a perfect plan. So I am trusting that you have sent my son in this time and God I'm declaring war for his sake I'm declaring war Lord God over the school that he's going to attend I'm declaring war Lord God over the friendships that he might have I'm declaring war Lord Jesus over this culture and this nation and this and this this state God because I know that we need to see you move and the enemy cannot continue to gain ground on what you want to do and Lord Jesus please have mercy help us to be bold and step in and declare war how many of you got to declare war for your marriage today how many of you have to say today, enemy, listen up, uh, just perk up your ears because I declare war for my family, for my kids, for my school, for my office, for my church, for my community, for my country. I think that we have to get involved. I was talking to you, Mike, and we were talking and we had a great conversation. I feel like so many times we just talk about things, but we don't have engagement in things. We will show up for a day, but we won't show up for the day after that. We'll do it for a day, but we can't do it again and again. We'll say, hey, we'll put on an event. We'll, we'll 
invite a speaker and we'll, we'll, we'll just entertain that idea for a day, but we won't follow up and show up at the meetings and show up at the, at the community center and show up at the school PTA boards. We won't show up at this and that. Why? Because we have decided that it's not worth fighting. But today, church, can we just please, for the love of God, say that there are things that are worth fighting for. And let's get up and get engaged because victory is not just going to show up. Your enemy is not going to say, hey, I declare a truce for your sake. I'm going to lean off of your family members. I'm going to relinquish my stronghold in their life over their addiction. Let me just tell them today that they are free to go. I don't want them anymore. I don't want to populate hell. The enemy wants to continue and he will not let up. So why should we? I don't know, but I I feel like preaching this morning. And I feel like God has something to say to his church. And so will you please just join me? Just, just I, I, do something. Just close your eyes. If, if, I, if, you can't, if, you, if you can't connect with my moving around too much, do something. But can you just respond? Can you just engage? Because we cannot be passive. Stop waiting for your problem to declare a truce. It's not going to happen. The prophet said, you, you, the person in your chair, you, your spouse, your family, your home, you at your job, at your office, at your company, you within your business, you declare war. You. And look at verse 17. Elisha proclaimed, this is the Lord's arrow, an arrow of victory over Aram, for you will completely conquer the Arameans at Aphek. Do you realize how powerful your declarations can be? Do you realize how powerful? He said, hey, your victory which you have now become engaged in, your victory, which you are going to experience. It has been released. It is being prepared. It's being care packaged and wrapped up in a bow and given to you. It's not waiting for you on the battlefield. It is waiting for you at the point of your declaration. It is waiting for you at the moment where you become engaged and you start opening up these, th- this little thing right here that the Bible tells us in James, it can cause a mighty fire. As it can cause a mighty fire for destruction, it can also cause a mighty fire for, for awesome power and righteousness of God. God to come on through and change circumstances. It can cause things to happen because the Bible says life and death are in the power of the tongue. If we look at Moses, Moses realized this and he said to God, God, didn't you say that you would take this people and deliver them out of their oppressors? Didn't you say, God, that you would utilize this people and out of them would come a blessing and all other nations would be blessed? Didn't you say, God, that you would show up the Egyptians and everyone around them, their oppressors, that you were faithful in their lives? Didn't you say, God, that this is that? And so Moses reminded God of his words, of his declarations. And then what does God do? He honors the word that he had declared. God said, yes, I did. I said that. And so I'm going to fulfill it. I am not going to let my people be ashamed and and forsaken. I am going to step in and I'm going to fulfill it. God, God is in the business. He's in the process of looking for our words so he can fulfill them. So what words are you speaking? What are you declaring? What wars are you declaring this morning? Are you speaking out and saying, God, I am declaring victory over this addiction. God, I'm declaring victory over this perversion. God, I'm declaring victory over this thought have, uh, process and mindset. God, I'm declaring victory over this illness. I'm declaring victory, Lord God, over X, Y, Z, fill in the blank. I'm declaring victory. God is waiting, church. 
He is waiting. I think some of us, we just lost the, the, the understanding that there is power in our declarations, that God is ready, willing. He just wants to see, do you believe enough by opening up your lips and declaring that which I have already promised? Verse 18, then he said, now pick up the other arrows and strike them against the ground. So the king picked them up and he struck the ground three times. Right after shooting the arrow out the window, right after God had connected that act, that symbolic act to his victory, that he was declaring war and in his declaration, victory was ensured. He was going to be victorious. Now it's just a matter of how and when and how many and all these kinds of things. And, and what's going on now, he tells him, please pick up your arrows. Go pick up every other arrow that you've got, and I want you to go and do something. And I read the story so many times. I'm like, this is an odd statement. This is an odd response. This is an interesting exchange between the king and the prophet. Is he delirious in his deathbed? Is he just going kind of crazy because he's getting close to entering eternity? Like, what is going on? Has he, has he had his best days behind him, and now Elisha is just kind of getting a little wacky? What is happening here? It is odd. It is strange. What is happening? Why does Elisha? when the prophet uh, tells him strike the ground he strikes the ground he goes once he goes twice he goes a third time and then it tells us that the prophet gets mad some people believe that he actually took the arrows and he started striking the floor but more common most likely he was probably in a room as he went out and shot his arrow uh, out the window he was probably still there and at that moment what he does instead is he takes his arrow and he shoots uh, the arrow down into the ground he shoots one arrow two arrows three arrows and as he does that the man of God becomes enraged but here's what the Lord made clear to me you know, is, is, is Elisha angry and frustrated at the fact that this man shots, shoots three arrows? Is he upset at the fact that he is obedient? <laughs> is he mad the, at the fact that this man shoots three arrows and for some reason three might be an unlucky number for Elisha? Is he just not too happy? It's not his jersey number. It's not the number that he likes. It's not the number of completion for him or whatever. It, it's, it's, it's not the number that he would have chosen. Is that the issue? Is that why he's angry? And here's what the Lord revealed to me, is that he is not angry at the fact that Jehoash has shot three arrows. What he's angry about is the fact that there are still arrows within his quiver. From the perspective of the prophet, when the prophet looks at this king and he realizes that you have picked up a bow, you have picked up a quiver of arrows, I see that you shot one, you shot two, you shot three, but what about the rest of the arrows that are in your quiver? You have still some arrows to be shot. You chose not to shoot them. Why did you not shoot them? You should have shot five or six times. Why? five or six. Is that because those are the better numbers? No, it's because of the fact that from his vantage point, that's what Elisha saw. There is at least two more arrows or three more arrows within that quiver. I'm on my deathbed. I'm lying here. I'm not too great, but I can see with my, with my slim eyes that there's still some more arrows within your quiver and you chose not to shoot them. And church, what's the application for that? What is the, the problem here? What is the, the rubber meeting the road implication for us in this moment? Seeing that the prophet had already revealed to him much. He had already shown him with clarity and established the significance of this act. You're shooting, ensuring your victory. God is giving it to you. Then in the moment when the king has the opportunity to step in and demonstrate his trust in God and show God that he is actually buying in 
into the promise, that he is actually taking you know, an assertive stance and moving in, not being passive but proactive and stepping into his victory. What does the king do? The king fails to demonstrate his trust in God. He falls short. He falls flat. Jehoash, you did not exhaust your capacity. Jehoash, you did not exhaust your potential. Jehoash, you still left arrows within your quiver. Why didn't you shoot five or six? Then you would have beaten Aram until it was entirely destroyed. Now you will be victorious, but three times church. Our actions today will limit God's performance tomorrow. Our low expectations today will impact God's intervention in our lives tomorrow. This man had a chance and he chose not to exhaust every one of his arrows. Your low expectations, it's dangerous. My low expectations, dangerous. See, church, victory demands that we give all. Victory demands that we give it all, that we give everything, that we go above and beyond. Some of us, we have grown accustomed to giving God 50 or 60%. Some of us have become accustomed and excited with subpar activity, with subpar attention and time and devotion and energy, with subpar obedience, with partial obedience. We're okay with giving him mediocre, and God is looking around. He says, I see your quiver. I can see your potential. I have written every one of your days, and I declare that you are so much more than this. You are capable of so much more than this. You've got talents and abilities and, and, and purposes. You've got callings and dreams within you that is so much more than this. Why are you okay with giving me mediocre? Why are you okay with giving me just enough? You have more to give. And so why are you okay with that? God have mercy. God have mercy. The, the parable of the talents, the parable, you know, uh, of the, the, the good servant and the wicked servant. It's all throughout the Bible. God has given us talents and abilities. He has placed within us a measure of faith. Every one of us, we have a measure. We can look around and compare ourselves to our neighbor and our loved one and this mighty man of God and mighty woman of God. But you know what? He's not called us to be that person or this person. He's called us to be us and to live within the, the capacity and the boundaries of our potential. And he wants to see all of it exhausted for his kingdom. He wants to see all of it on the line. When we step in and hear his promises, he's saying, I have so much more and I want to see, are you going to trust me to launch every one of those arrows out? When we give God just a little bit, just enough, just the mediocre, just the average, it's like as if we're showing up and, and, and God is expecting us to be on the honor roll and we're giving him just passing grades. You know, there's a passage in the scriptures, it tells us uh, in, in, in the end times when, when everything is fulfilled, when, when the new heavens and new earth, when there's the judgment seat of God and, and we're going to stand before the Lord, not in judgment for our salvation because if we've come to believe in him and trust in him, we are saved by his incredible grace. But there's going to come a judgment, a bema seat judgment where we're going to stand before God and he's going to judge our works and he's going to look at what we have done for him in this world, what we have done where he says, where, where others were hungry, did you give them a meal when they were thirsty did you give them some water that did you lead the least of these to seek me and know me when we stand before him and we get to show what we have done 
in that moment, we're going to lay down our crowns before him. We're going to lay down the things that we have done before him as an offering of our thanksgiving to the fact that he's chosen to utilize us and include us in his plan. On that day, church, how many of us are going to show up before him with just trinkets and morsels and little things where we could have given him so many more crowns, so many more things where we could have gone above and beyond and hit the honor roll as opposed to just passing and just coasting and just showing up. It's going to be great. No, don't catch me wrong. It's going to be still good to be in his presence presence. It's going to be incredible to just be there and be accepted by him. It's awesome. But how will we feel if we realize I could have done more? I could have blessed him more. I could have reached more. I could have saved more. I could have impacted more. I could have affected change more. I could have done all of these other things, but I didn't do because I didn't shoot my shot. Because I did not shoot my shot. I want you to turn to your neighbor and say, hey, what's in your quiver? Turn to your neighbor, what's in your quiver? Can you shoot your shot? Shoot your shot. Some of us, I I just think that today, I'm going to invite the team to come back up and we're going to jump into communion. I want us to just stop and consider, are we shooting every shot that we have the capacity to shoot? Some of us, we're looking around and we're too concerned with what everybody else is thinking, what everybody else is looking and saying around us. And so in that sense, we are looking at how they're saying we are unqualified. But yet, let me tell you, can you shoot your shot anyways? You don't come from the right minority. You have an accent. Shoot your shot anyways. You know what? You don't come from the right pedigree. Shoot your shot anyways. You've got a disability. Shoot your shot anyways. You don't have the right education. Shoot your shot anyways. You're too young. Shoot it anyways. You're too old. Shoot it anyways. Wow, there's life. There's hope. So shoot your shot. And go and step in saying, God, I'm declaring that you are the source of my help, that you are the one leading me in this, that God, I'm declaring war against that issue today. I am stepping in here, God. I'm not leaving anything on the table. I'm not leaving any potential, any possibility, any options on the table. I'm exhausting it all. I'm taking it all. At some point, friend, If we stop to read this book and we start to realize all the promises, all the words that are in here, and we realize that the image it paints is not an image of a God that is angry and ready to judge us and and, and cast us out, but it is of a God that is loving and caring, that has afforded us every single opportunity, and he does it again and again. He meets us like the king who did not deserve an answer. He meets us every single time where we were not able to be qualified for that provision of his grace and the arrows that he puts within the quiver of our lives. We are not worthy of any of it, yet he does it again and again and if we take this at its root at its word and we believe this book I think there comes a time when we realize his investment in us and we declare that we cannot do anything but give it all back to him as an expression of our appreciation of our love and our devotion to him I want to utilize God every capacity that you have for me 
God, I'm tired of making excuses why this hasn't worked or that hasn't worked or why we haven't grown in this way or that way. God, I'm not going to make any excuses that, you know what, it's because there's no other people joining and coming. God, I know that I'm not Elijah who is complaining after a major victory that there is no more remnant, there is no more faithful men and women who are pressing on and shooting every shot that they have and not bowing a knee to Baal and bowing a knee to this world and this culture. God, I am not going to choose to listen to that lie anymore, but I'm going to step in and say, God, you still are doing something and I want to give you my all. I'm going to do everything within my power to make it so. Whether they're coming with me, she's coming with me, he's coming with me or not, I'm pressing in and I'm going because I am not leaving any shots in my bag. If that's you today, church, I think that we need to just change our position and our stance for a second. So I invite you to stand on up with me. If you feel like you want to take your shot and not leave any potential on the table, you want like, God, I need you to step in and do something. Father, I need you to to step in. You, You are my source. I can't do it in my strength. I can't do it in my power. I can't do it in my might. You are the one who needs to make it happen. So God, today I want to shoot the shot no matter what it is that is the problem. There was one detail that I want to end on. One detail. And you just stand there and just listen. One detail that I don't know if you caught when we're reading. When the man of God tells the king, go grab your bow. Go to the window. Open it up. Take your arrow and I want you to shoot it out. There's one detail that it says that in that moment, Elisha, who is frail, who is sick, who is broken, he stands up and he comes to the king and he lays his very hand upon the king's hand. And he overshadows the king's hand. And he is there. There is nothing in the text that tells us that he takes his hand away. So at every time that the king is shooting his shots, the man of God's hand is upon the king's. Every one of those shots had the covering of the hand of the prophet. Every one of those shots were under the direction, the the guidance of the hand of the prophet. And what Elisha is trying to tell him in this act, even though I'm about to leave, even though I'm about to go, I, the prophet of God, is leaving, but the God of the prophet is not gone. The God of the prophet is still here. The God of the prophet is still with you. The God of the prophet is still working in your life. So my question for you this morning is, in whose hands are you in? Are you leaning on your own power? Are you leaning on your own situation? But are you in the hands of the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords? Are you in the hand of God Almighty who said, I shall never leave you nor forsake you. Although men may fail, although men may leave, although people may die and situations may change, I remain the same, immutable, unchanging, unswerving, forevermore, from everlasting to everlasting. And I am for you. I am with you. And I will be there to shoot the shot with you. Will you just pick it up and release it to me? I think I need some shot shooters here today. I need some people to pick up their bows this morning and I want you to just release whatever arrow you have. So today we're going to come to this communion table and we're going to celebrate the fact that we're remembering him with us every moment. But we're going to respond by opening up these altars right after communion. And I don't know what your shot is. I don't know if you need to just go and say, I'm finally going to 
pull the trigger. I'm going to go buy that house. I'm finally going to pull the trigger and I'm going to say yes to my pastor. I'm going to finally pull the trigger and say yes to that community board that's asking for my involvement. I'm going to finally say yes and I'm going to go and step up into the PTA meetings and I'm going to show up at the school board. I'm going to say yes and I'm actually going to do something within my community sphere. I'm going to say yes today and shoot the shot because there is a fight that is worth fighting. I'm going to shoot the shot and I'm going to launch out in the business. I'm going to pray more fervently. I'm going to shoot the shot and say, yes, I'm picking up my cross and following after you today, Lord Jesus. I don't know what your shot is. But let me just tell you, partial obedience is full disobedience. And God is asking you to shoot every one of the shots. He's asking you to give him 100% of your commitment. He's asking you to be all in for his kingdom. And I'm just overwhelmed because if we don't give it everything, we will accomplish nothing. If we do not put it all on the line, there is a world that is lost and broken and dying and going to hell that needs people of God that will stand in the gap and truly believe. Gandhi said, I don't want anything about your followers of Jesus. Give me Jesus because your followers are not following him. They're not living, giving him his all. Lord, help us to do it all, to give all to step into your hands. Sorry if I came off a little too abrasive this morning, but I feel like this is something that needs to change. And this is something that God needs to do and awaken inside of us. We cannot come just coasting into church service. We can't just show up and say, when I have enough time and enough energy, I'm gonna crack open my Bible. When, you know what, the spirit strikes me and I feel good enough and I have leftovers, I'm going to, you know, give God some of my attention. We need to step in and say, God, today's the day that I declare war. There has to be a change. There has to be, Lord Jesus, something that awakens inside of me. The giants that are facing this world and facing my life and my family, my community. God, I cannot leave them to taunt, to say, to do, to accomplish, to belittle, to break apart the will of God, the faith of God in God's people. I can't, God, stand idle by anymore. This isn't a dress rehearsal. We're not going to get a redo button and a reset button. kind of step up and go (laughs) of everyone I'm preaching to before the message ever gets out of my lips they're right here working in here and he's speaking to me so God have mercy on me Lord forgive me when I have failed forgive me Lord Jesus when I have not believed in what you have promised and so declared the words that you have said what you have reserved in this book Lord God to be effective and true and possible for my life for this ministry for this region for my family Lord God for this world Father have mercy on us and help us Lord to wake up to rise up to step up Lord God to put it all on the line and shoot the shot knowing that you are with us